0: You are listening to The Sermons Podcast from The North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. Well, what a good morning already, as we have sung of God's grace and sung of His works. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 92 this morning. This is where we're gonna be in our sermon text this morning, Psalm 92. And it's a joy this morning as we celebrate what God has done. We're not celebrating us, but we're celebrating who God is and what he has done and his works are good. And so now we wanna hear God's word from Psalm 92. Listen with me. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp and to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see your glory this morning. We have sung of your past grace, we have prayed for your future grace, and now we wanna hear from your word so that we would be true to obey you all the days of our life. So help me this morning now to be faithful in saying things that are true and accurate for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning marks one month in the existence of the North Church and yet unlike most other church plants, We have a 21-year history as the North Campus. We have a 151-year history as Bethlehem Baptist Church. And what I'd like to do this morning in my sermon is address the question, who will we be in the days ahead? Where are we going? What's the vision? What does the future hold? And these are fitting questions in the midst of transition. I know some of you are are moving from working full time to a place where you're reconsidering what is the next step of my life and you're asking those same questions. What might God have for me in this next season? What am I supposed to give my time and energy to? And there are unique challenges before us in the life of our church and in the life of our world. We have global instability, a culture that is increasingly confused about the most basic of realities, like gender. There's decreasing church attendance among the younger generations. New studies and surveys coming out week after week. Increased hostility towards Christians in the marketplace and against the church. The flourishing of evil, such as abortion here in our own state. Violence in our cities and sexual perversion of every kind. And all of that stuff is on the outside, but yet there are internal dangers and threats as well, aren't there, for us as a church? There's the danger of self-sufficiency. We could somehow think we're so great. It's, it's our wisdom, it's, it's our ingenuity that has brought us here. There's the danger of spiritual apathy that we lose sight of God's goodness and of his glory. There is also the danger of hypocrisy where we say one thing and do another. And we could fail to endure or persevere as God's people and grow weary in doing good. So this is a pivotal moment for us in the life of our church. Who will we be in the days ahead? And where do we look? Well, like God's people in all times, we look to his timeless and ever relevant word. And so, As I have prayed and pondered the future of our church, I kept coming back to the same image that was repeated throughout Scripture in several different places, and Psalm 92 is one of those places. And so what I want to do this morning is walk through Psalm 92. I don't have extensive time to comment on every verse, but I want to draw out four central truths for the North Church as we look ahead. As we ask Who will we be moving forward? I believe that God has a word for us from Psalm 92. And then afterwards, I hope to share a few more words about where I believe God is leading us as a church. So Psalm 92, this is a unique psalm in that it combines praise as well as personal testimony and teaching. Very often a psalm tries to do one or the other, and and yet here we see all three of these elements combined. And, And the broad summary of Psalm 92 would be this, that the psalmist is contrasting God's judgment of the wicked with his blessing of the righteous. You see that in verses five through nine where he talks about the destruction of the wicked of the evildoers, and then in 10 through 15, he talks about the flourishing of the righteous. Now, you'll also note that this is a song for the Sabbath. There's that little inscription at the beginning of the Psalm, which means that this Psalm was either written for Sabbath worship at the temple, but it could also mean that it's pointing forward to final Sabbath rest at final redemption. And the occasion for Psalm 92 is that God's people would have been discouraged and feeling down about all that's going on. We see that in verse seven, that the wicked sprout like grass and evildoers are flourishing. And so the psalmist writes this psalm to encourage his people. Don't be anxious, don't be discouraged, don't feel hopeless in all that's going on right now, but remember these things about our God. And so what I wanna do is draw out those four things for us this morning so that we would see them more clearly. The first is that we are to remember that we are a people who sings of God's goodness. Look with me at verse one. It says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. There, there's these repeated calls to praise and to worship and to sing and even in verse three, to the music of the lute and harp and to the melody of the lyre. What the psalmist is doing for us this morning is he reminds us that it's actually good for our souls to praise God, that it's good for our souls to sing his praises. Very often when we get discouraged and we feel anxious, we we try to figure it out, we try to fix it on our own and he says, no, 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 one of the things you ought to do is to sing your way out of depression. Praise God, call to mind all that God is to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. That's a literary device to talk about the morning and the night and every time in between to say all the time God is worthy of our praise. There's never any time where there isn't an appropriate time to worship God for who he is and what he has done. Now, This would be apparent to the original listeners of this, but very often the Psalms were written and those in the ancient Near East, they would have expected to praise their various gods out of fear of punishment. Sometimes you might see this, like if you walk into a Chinese restaurant or a Thai restaurant, you'll you'll sometimes see right at the entrance or maybe, Posted up on a wall, there's this little Buddha statue sometimes and there's some incense and maybe some oranges and and some money and coins, and and why is that? Because if we don't worship the gods, bad luck might come. And and so let's cover our bases, put some incense so so that the gods won't be angry with us. And here, in in those days, many were worried that perhaps the gods would punish them if they did not bring appropriate tribute. But here, we see this contrast. Why should we praise God? Because of his steadfast love and faithfulness, and if you know your Bible, this calls to mind Exodus 34, six, where Moses says, I wanna see your glory, oh God. I-, I wanna see your face, and God says, if you see my face, you'll die. You can't see my face, but what I'll do is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll let my glory pass by you. I'll put my hand over you, and-, and then you'll just get a glimpse of my back, a- and Moses gets this experience, and as God passes by, what is proclaimed about God? It's his character. And it says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So the reminder for us this morning is that we worship not because we think some bad thing is going to happen to us and so we need to appease an angry God, but we worship a God this morning who is faithful to his people and faithful to his church and faithful to his promises for a thousand generations. We serve a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. This is our God this morning, brothers and sisters. Some of us perhaps walked in this morning thinking, oh, God is just fed up with me. I'm so, he must be so tired of forgiving me for the same old sins again and again. He's just got to be growing impatient with my failures because I'm impatient with my own failures. If I was one of his children, if my behavior was like one of my own children, I would be impatient with them. And yet God is not like me and you. God is long-suffering, overflowing in love and faithfulness to carry out his mission and to rescue a people for his glory. God loves to save and to sanctify a people for his glory. And so this morning, whatever you might be experiencing, I know we're all celebrating, but if you came in and you're just withering away inside, there is a word for you this morning. That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, slow to anger. Now he gives us the reason in verse four. You see that four in verse four, he says, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. So not only do we worship God for who he is, his identity, steadfast love and faithfulness, but we worship God for his works, for what he has done, the works of his hands. And we'll see more of that in just a moment. So what has and what should continue to characterize the people of the North Church? We are a people who sing of God's goodness. We are a people who sing of who God is and all that he has done. If you go to many churches these days, they they got their band, they got their smoke, they got their lights dimmed, and and then I I try to listen for the people singing, and I'm not criticizing those who do the band and the smoke, but uh, you you get what I mean, And, and I just don't hear anyone singing. There's no voices. What we will be, and have been is a people who will lift our voices together in worship of our God. God forbid we become a church where we are filled with consumers and audience and spectators that watch others do it but don't do it ourselves. Let's be a people who sing, not just because we sing, because it's an overflow of our hearts and of our faith that is rooted deeply in who God is and all that he has done. We are a singing people because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He is so good. He has sustained us and we'll do it through tears and arms lifted when we've just lost a spouse and we say, he will hold me fast. And we'll do it in moments of joy and we'll say, God is so good. He, he saved my children or grandchildren or my spouse or whoever else. The song that we sing, the songs that we sing here are preparing us for eternity. That's what we will do in the presence of God and we are rehearsing what we will do on our deathbeds, brothers and sisters. We're practicing for our most vital moments and perhaps in the coming days, what we'll sing in our prison cells, how we'll remind ourselves of the truth that never fails. If the day ever comes where legal authorities demand that we not sing, let's sing. We would rather let them cut out our tongues than not sing God's praises. The rocks themselves will cry out. So let's be a singing people. The second thing we see, verses five to nine, we're to sing of God's goodness and now we're to know God's greatness. We're to know God's greatness. Verse five says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. So God's ways are great and unknowable, and then he says the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. This sounds a lot like Paul in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. He's saying God's thoughts are far above our own, and yet let me try to expound what they are, he says. And now he turns in verse seven that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. What the psalmist is saying here is that it looks like to the appearance of the righteous looking in that the wicked seem to flourish. They sprout up like grass, they're they're making success, they're making lots of money, they're doing just fine. And he says the fool and the stupid man cannot understand that they are actually doomed to destruction. The wicked will not go far. The psalmist reminds us to know God's greatness revealed in his judgment of mankind. That we are to know his greatness in his judgment so that when we see the persecution of Christians or human trafficking or the pornography industry raking in billions or drug cartels or the abortion industry or the horrific mutilation of children's bodies according to the transgender ideology or the oppression of the vulnerable or those who commit senseless violence, we can be reminded of this truth. God's judgment is coming. And what does that do for us when we're reminded, when we know of God's greatness and judgment? It frees us from anxiety and it gives us hope. It frees us from anxiety and it gives us hope. There's there's those who might say, where's your God? Let him strike me with lightning. And, And because lightning doesn't come in that moment, they think he's not around. Well, they just have their timing wrong. Judgment is coming for all those who do not trust in Jesus. Notice the contrast. The wicked seemingly spring up overnight, they flourish, but then look, it is the Lord who is on high forever in verse eight. It's the Lord who is seated on his throne forever and ever. And so Christians are to be reminded to take the long view of where the world is at if the circumstances look dire around us for a moment, don't forget that everything is going somewhere and Jesus sits on the throne. Now, how do we reconcile this truth that God will judge the wicked, that they're doomed to destruction forever, that his enemies will perish and the evildoers will be scattered with Jesus' own teaching, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, 44. Uh, Those feel contradictory at times in our hearts, perhaps. We're called to love our enemies and that God is going to destroy all our enemies and we're supposed to rest in that truth. Uh, How do we make sense of this, this apparent maybe contradiction or tension that we feel? Well, I don't believe it's contradictory, but rather this truth in Psalm 92 actually undergirds our ability to do Matthew 5, 44. Because we know God will judge every wrong, either at the cross of Christ, causing his wrath to fall on Jesus, or in eternal torment for all those who reject the free gift of Jesus, we can then love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Because Jesus says, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So this truth frees us to rest in the knowledge of the greatness of God. Which means we won't wonder if we're missing out on living our best life here on earth or consider dishonest ways to success or worry about lost opportunities because of our commitment to Christ. Instead we're gonna rest easy and sleep soundly knowing that God will render judgment. So the the logic is like this. First Corinthians 15, Paul writes, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying that the the pain of sin and death was that it kind of hung over us and condemned us but because we have victory in Jesus, we, we no longer have that. And then in the following verse, verse 58, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So why can we be steadfast? Why can we be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Because God, through Jesus Christ, has freed us from the sting of death and sin. And in this same way, We have victory through Jesus this morning. So remember God's greatness in judgment. Now, the third thing we wanna see comes in verses 10 and 11. We wanna testify of God's grace. Verse 10 says, but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Notice that the psalmist goes from general call to praise and then teaching on the judgment of the wicked, and now he goes to a personal testimony. He says, you have exalted my horn you have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. He's talking about his own personal experience of God. He's not just saying, you all should do this, but look at my personal experience. Let me testify to how God. God has been personally faithful to me. Now, th- this horn, exalted my horn, it it draws upon imagery that's used throughout the Bible probably most prominently in 1 Samuel two one, where Hannah's song, she praises God and she says, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted. So the picture here is that God is the one who gives strength to his people. And then this pouring of fresh oil is this anointing image and so Put together, it's this image that God is the one who brings refreshment and strengthening to his people. In fact, he vindicates them so that his people will see the downfall of their enemies. So what the psalmist is doing is that he can personally testify to the truth that God will not fail in upholding his children. And the same is true for us this morning. Who is the North Church? We are a people who sing of God's goodness. We are a people who are reminded and recall to mind God's greatness in his judgment of the wicked and we run to Jesus, but we are also a people who have tasted and seen the goodness of God. We personally, each of us, can testify of God's grace. We are not just people gathered because we all think the same things, but we have all tasted of the same meal, of the same sweetness, of the goodness of Jesus. We don't ever want to be a people who just believe it up here, but haven't experienced it deep in our souls. are gathered because we are people who can personally testify that God will indeed hold us fast even when our faith is tempted to fail. We can personally testify of God's deliverance. We lean upon and depend upon His grace this morning. And now the fourth thing in verses 12 to 15. Trust in God's guarantee, trust in God's guarantee. Verse 12 says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now again, notice. The contrast between the wicked who flourish like grass to the righteous who grow up like trees. Grass springs up overnight, add a little bit of miracle grow, a lot of water, and two weeks time you get a green lawn. And yet how long does it take to grow a massive 100 foot tree? A lot longer. And so that's the contrast he's drawing for us here the righteous who once looked shaky and unstable are tall, majestic trees. And similar images are employed in Psalm 1. Man is like a tree planted by streams of water who yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Or Isaiah 61.3 where he calls God's people oaks of righteousness. Here he calls them cedars of Lebanon. Now, this Psalm pictures God's people flourishing in God's presence. Now, if you'll remember in 1 Kings chapter 6, Solomon built God's temple, and what was the wood that was used? It was cedar, it was cedar wood. And, and then, if you really know your Bible, in 1 Kings 6, what were engraved in all the wood? It was palm trees, cherubim and palm trees, again and again. You, you can look it up later, 1 Kings 6, And so together, these two images, the temple is made of cedar wood, carved into the cedar wood are palm trees. Why, what's this referring to? Well, it it pictures God's people prospering in his presence under his protection. So when he says that the righteous flourish like the palm tree, that they're always fruitful, the palm date would constantly bear fruit and grow like a cedar in Lebanon that would grow to be some of the tallest trees. Uh, I read one commentator who said a 3,000-year-old tree could still drop pine cones that would still be, uh, that would still be usable in planting more trees. Uh, pretty amazing. And so the idea here is very similar to John fifteen five, where it talks about, where Jesus teaches abide in me and let my words abide in you and then you will bear what? Much good fruit. And so here the picture is God's people are planted in the Lord's temple and flourishing under his rule and reign and yet today we know that we're not coming mainly to a building. This building could burn down and we would still abide in Christ because it's not about being in this room, but it's about being in Jesus. We're planted in Christ today and all those who abide in Jesus will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and we will bear much good fruit. Now look in verse 14, he says, they still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green, this phrase sapping green is literally fat and fresh. The psalmist reminds us that God is the one who establishes his people forever. So the North Church is to be reminded this morning that we trust in God's work of establishing us. It's not about making our own name great, but it's about God doing a long-term work of raising up a people who will grow into trees that will last forever. The psalmist reminds us that it is God who establishes his people. God is the one who makes his people great for his glory. And just by way of application to some of our senior saints this morning, do you notice that even in old age, they bear fruit ever full of sap and green. So I don't care if you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or in your hundreds, if you're fat and fresh, full of green, (laughs) full of sap and the Lord's not yet done with you. You saw the kids up here and then you saw the choir up here and we need every person. Infant through 80 and 90 and 100. We need every individual putting their hand to the plow together for the advance of Christ's kingdom. No one is unneeded. No one is able to be sitting on the sidelines in the midst of this work. This psalm reminds us that we need every saint laboring together, seeking to finish well. And so, in particular, for the senior saints this morning, you might think, you know, Arizona looks real nice, it's warm, Florida looks real nice, warm, and and yet I would encourage you, get a holy ambition of how you can labor here for the advance of Christ's kingdom. And you might say, well, I, I can't do as much as I used to do. I'm not, I don't have as much energy as I used to. And I would say some of the most important things you could do is pray for this next generation. The attacks are great. I I just read the news and and I'm just stunned. You know, we're talking more about drag queens and drag queen story hour more than ever in history and our culture has just completely lost its mind. And people are, they have their sights set on children to take them into the darkest places and to groom them for horrific things. And where is God's church? We need to rise up and stand for what is good. And we need godly parents that will rise up. We need godly grandparents. We need godly great grandparents who will pray for this next generation, who will hold babies in our nursery, who will teach in our Sunday schools. And so we need every person engaged here at this church. No one is just writing a check and, and sitting on the sidelines but every person, we're calling you to engage in this work. If you have strength, join us in putting your hand to the plow. God moves mountains through the faithful labors and the earnest prayers of his people. Let me call us to redouble our efforts in praying for God to turn the tide of this world, this culture. Psalm 92 calls God's people to sing of God's goodness for who he is and what he's done. Calls us to know his greatness in salvation and in judgment, to testify of God's grace and his favor, to personally testify of that and then to trust in his guarantee to establish his people forever. The psalm reminds us that we are a singing people, not a spectating people. The psalm reminds us that we are a steadfast and immovable people because we know how the story ends. The psalm reminds us that we are a vindicated people who have personally experienced the steadfast love and faithfulness of our God. And we are an abiding people who dwell in the presence of God, and He is the one who will cause us to flourish. And yet for those who aren't trusting in Christ even this morning, this Psalm says that you are among those whose end is destruction. Verse seven says they are doomed to destruction forever. It may not seem like it. You might be doing fine. Your bank account is doing fine. You're doing fine at work. Perhaps you are prospering. But God says the stupid and the fool cannot grasp God's unfolding plan in history. But the good news is this. Such were some of us. 1 Corinthians 6.11. We were among those same stupid fools that could not grasp God's plan. We were once among the unrighteous who were destined for destruction, but in God's kindness and mercy, he saved us through Jesus. We were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified by Jesus and Jesus alone. This is why this morning we sing so much of Jesus because he alone is precious. And even this morning, that can be true of you. Let me urge you, if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, that you would surrender and believe and trust in Jesus. Today can be the day of salvation. Now, as the North Church embarks on this new season in the life of our church, I want those four things to be true of us. Let's be a singing people. Let's be a people who rest in the greatness of his judgment and salvation and testify to a saving work and trust in his promise to establish us. And and you might be saying, well, what, what does that look like? In this particular moment, where are we going? What does it look like for us to take heart, take to heart Psalm 92 and all that God would be for us in Christ and so this is how I would answer that. And I've shared this at various points with the pastoral staff and with the elders and I wanna just share it with you not as the final word, but as a a beginning word of where I believe God is taking us as a church. I have thought and I have prayed and I know we we will all think and pray and we're trusting that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so let me say this, we're all witnesses of God's lavish grace to us as a people, 151 years of faithful gospel preaching. Praise God over 20 years as the North Campus, praise God. We're part of a movement, if you will, of reformed and Baptistic, Calvinist, continuationist, Christian hedonist. I remember being in college in California and I was reading and devouring, desiring God, the extension of the ministry of this church. Pastor John's sermons being posted there And I later became one of the first graduates of Bethlehem College and Seminary. And now I have the privilege, along with my fellow elders, to lead us in this next season. And so without overstating it, I think this is a pivotal, an essential moment for us as we launch as the North Church. We could miss a once in a generation opportunity to re-articulate who we are as a church. We we could drop the baton, if you will, in, in the transition. And so my aspiration, my hope, my vision is that we would see every person at the North Church established as cedars of Lebanon who are tall and strong and whose roots go way deep in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be palm trees that are continually bearing fruit, drawing people to Jesus that we would be Psalm 1 people who bear fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither, that we would be oaks of righteousness that would just stand firm in the midst of our world so that the wind, when the winds of culture blow, we will stand firm, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then together, when you gather hundreds of trees together, what do you get? You get a forest, you get a garden city, So in the midst of the city, you get this glorious garden that would shine the light of the glory of Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. Just like every other green space in major cities, it serves so that people can come find rest and comfort. So imagine a tomorrow with me where our children and our children's children possess this very legacy of faith, walking in the ways of the Lord. Imagine winning our culture war as we raise up a generation that will treasure Christ and love his bride, the church. Imagine a church that is a lighthouse in the dark and wicked and twisted generation in which we live. Imagine 1,200 or 1,500 or 2,000 people shining forth the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus to our lost neighbors and to the ends of the earth. Imagine being a place that is a refuge where the spiritually dead find life, that as people walk in they say, something's different here. It's not the furniture but I feel the very presence of God. Imagine a place where the hopeless find joy in Jesus and where the broken find healing at the foot of the cross. Imagine sending out some of our people in the coming years to plant more healthy churches that will proclaim Christ and multiply this vision. And imagine finally sending out global partners to an unreached and unengaged people group so that some who have never heard the name of Jesus would hear it for the first time. So now is the time for us to rise up as a new generation that will make much of Christ. Just like Joshua's words before his death, will we choose this day for us and our families that we will serve the Lord? And I believe, by God's grace, that the best days for this people are not behind us, but ahead of us. And so this will require risk and partnership and sacrifice to free us for the future. Imagine what we could do If we were debt free, imagine what we could do if we had more space for classrooms. Imagine how we can position ourselves for the future and for the next generation. If we paid off our debt in the next three years, we can invest our time and money and energy for the next 25 years into our children and neighborhoods and to the nations. I'm not launching a building campaign. Just get that out of your mind. I'm talking about what God may be doing and and calling us to lean in to the spiritual work, of what God is calling us to. And the truth that all of this rests upon is that Jesus builds and advances his church upon this. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and upon this truth, God builds his church and the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. While our world grows bleak and dark, the church rises up in every time with fresh vigor, renewed faith, enlivened hearts of joy and worship to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and the one who will surely return. So come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, do that work for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from The North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.